I'm going to ask you to put your hands up if you've ever been angry at someone in church. Have you ever been angry at a fellow Christian, a fellow believer, someone in church? I think some of us are honest, some of us might not be being honest, that's okay. Um, How do we deal with that? That is going to be our second question for the morning. Um, But before we come to that, I want to help us answer why. And I want to pose our first question, which is, have you ever thought about what Jesus thinks of the Bible? Okay, I think a lot of us are very quick to say what we think about the Bible, um, what we believe, what we interpret, etc. But have you ever stopped to consider what Jesus says about the Bible? Um, That is where our passage today starts. Now, one of the things I am loving about being married is uh, getting to lead the church now together with Kiri, which is great. One of the downsides is Kiri does our preaching rota. Uh, And she has given me what I think is one of the harder passages in the Sermon on the Mount. But that is okay. I'm not annoyed. Um, That is fine. So we're doing a series. We're going through Matthew. um, And we're in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to know what following Jesus looks like, Matthew chapters 5, 6 and 7 is essentially the bread and butter. Um, And today we're going to go to Matthew 5. We're going to look at verse 17. And I'm going to read to us. Do, you, uh, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. Um, Dan and Sam and Peter, do you want to come and stand at the front for me? Is that all right? Sorry, I should have prepped you for this. Um, so, the law and the prophets, what does Jesus mean by the law and the prophets? Does anyone want to answer that for me? Anybody? The Old Testament, fantastic. So, the Old Testament wasn't gathered as it is at the moment. The law is kind of what we would refer to as the first few books of the Bible, such as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, etc. It would have been known as the Torah. We've got the prophets. Um, As you can see, I did this, not Kerry at all. This is my handwriting. Um, The prophets, which is Isaiah and Daniel and so on and so on. And then we also have the writings, which is Psalms and Proverbs and Lamentations and and etc. They together make up what we we would call the Old Testament. So whenever you hear Jesus refer to the law and the prophets, he is essentially referring to what we are going to call the Old Testament. And he is saying he's not here to get rid of this. You're going to stand here for a while, I'm sorry. Um, But he is here to fulfil it. What does fulfil mean? If you skip us on, please, Sue. Um, The message translation here I find quite helpful, that Jesus has not come to demolish but to complete. He's here to pull it all together. So for Jesus, this is our first point this morning, you need to understand that the Bible is not a list of commands. Okay, the Bible is not a list of rules. It's a story that is pointing to him. Now, I'm sure when you came this morning, what you really wanted to see in church was a pie chart. So I thought... I would go into Excel and make a pie chart. Um, If you want to look at the Bible by numbers, about 43%, so the blue bit there, is story. Um, About a third of it, so the orange bit, is poetry. And less than a quarter is what we would call teachings or commands and so on. And so what you're seeing on a basic level, when Jesus talks about fulfilling the law and the prophets, the rules maybe, certainly, when we're talking about these books, he's actually talking about completing the story. He's talking about bringing the story to its conclusion. Let's keep reading. Uh, You guys are going to stay here for a while. I'm sorry about that. So, verse 18, for truly I tell you, truly I tell you is essentially Jesus speak for stop. 
listen up, this is really important. If you were uh, kind of drifting in your head, this is his call back to you, say, listen up, this bit is really important. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, that's this bit, until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to highlight if we skip on to um, the word sets aside. So the Greek for this word is luo, um, and it can be translated to relax or to loosen up a bit. So it's saying whoever loosens up a bit, but loosens up what? is my question. Because Jesus was previously talking about the law and the prophets. We're going to add in the writings, even though it's mainly poetry. And he was largely talking about the Old Testament. Okay, But Jesus is teaching more. And he is coming into, we're now in Matthew. Um, John, would you like to stand up for me? Um, Come and join us, John. You are on New Testament, John. You can come on this side all by yourself. Um, Kind of looking at Matthew onwards, looking at the story of Jesus and the early church. Um, The Sermon on the Mount, which is what Jesus is doing, is essentially he's taking this teaching and he is unpacking it to a whole new level, which then forms our New Testament. Now, if we take Old Testament and New Testament, what does that make? Not a trick question. The Bible. Fantastic. I'll let you guys sit down now. You can take your papers with you. Um, You can keep them as a memento. Um, Thank you very much. You didn't get much of a role there, John. I'm sorry. Um, Grab a seat. So Jesus is talking about the Bible. And he's saying, take it seriously. And in verse 19, he tells us why. And I imagine looking at verse 19, that's maybe something we're not too familiar with. Jesus seems to be saying there is a reciprocal. So reciprocal means two-way, give-and-take relationship between the way we treat the commands of the Bible and our experience of the kingdom of God. Okay, there is a two-way relationship between the way we treat the commands of the Bible and our experience of the kingdom of God. And I think for many of us in the room, that's probably a little bit jarring. That we kind of like to believe in our culture that we're Christians. God just wants to bless me uh, and give me everything that following him promises, no matter what I do. It's not down to what I do. What I do isn't important. But that's not what Jesus says. If we paraphrase again, there is a two-way, a give-and-take relationship between how seriously we take the commands of the Bible and what we experience of this Christian life, both here and for eternity. Now, that's quite big, and so I'm going to come back to it later. But for now, let's carry on. Verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, we're not Jewish. Jesus was largely speaking to Jews. It's a bit lost on us. The equivalent is, unless you are better than Mother Teresa... Unless you can follow the teachings of the Bible better than Mother Teresa, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is also a bit mind-pickling and a bit weird. Um, 
What does Jesus mean by this? If we go to the next slide, Sue, it can get a little bit complicated, but we're going to go with the simple version. The simple version is, if you try and follow Jesus based on just following rules, that is never going to work. Because we are never going to be good enough to hit all those rules. Following the rules is good. It's absolutely good. But it needs to be deeper. It needs to be about a change of heart. And in the church, we call that repentance. That's a big church word that essentially means, Jesus, I want to turn around. I know that I'm not good enough to hit all those rules. And so what I want to do is I want to give my life to following your way. That's the only way that we are saved. Now, you might be a little confused. Certainly, this student amongst you will be a little confused because I've said two completely opposite things in the last seven minutes. Um, First of all, that it is not about the rules, okay? And that is 100% true. We are saved because if we try and follow Jesus based on the rules, it is not going to work. But secondly, it is all about the rules because there is a two-way relationship between how we treat those commands, the rules, however we want to call it, and our experience of the kingdom of God. How does that make sense? Because both of those things are true. Now, the people Jesus was speaking to, they were all about the law. That's what Jews were all about. They loved it. They'll tithe like 10% of their spices that they grow in their garden um, and taking that to the extreme. Jesus is doing something he's new. He's saying, don't do it that way. Don't try and just follow the rules and nothing else. Don't go any deeper. That's not good. That's not going to work. But maybe to us, a slightly more liberal society than the Jewish culture back then. He's saying, don't be too liberal. Don't treat these commands as if they're not important. Because if you don't treat these, if you don't take my commands seriously, you are not going to experience in the blessing of following Jesus in this life. And in the next, we call that the kingdom of God. Now, that's very difficult to get our heads around. Um, And as I was preparing this message, I came across a paraphrase of these verses, um, which I'm going to read to us. It's important to say this is not a translation of the Bible. Uh, This is somebody's interpretation of the meaning. Um, A paraphrase of Jesus' words. Don't think for one minute that I came to throw out the Bible, or even the Old Testament. Nothing could be further from the truth. I came to take the story to its ending. The Bible, down to its smallest details, is so vitally important. Instead, everything that the Old Testament points forward to will come to happen. In fact, it's already started through my life and work. So here's the point. Your experience of life and God is linked to how you treat the Bible. If you take even one small command from my teachings in and on the Bible and you explain it away, or you ignore it to make it say what you want it to say, you will relegate yourself to the margins in the kingdom of God. You'll never find what you're looking for. But if you take the Bible seriously, then it will set you on the road to transformation, and you will grow and mature into one fully of my spirit, both now and for the world that is to come. And I wonder if reading that, a few of us feel uncomfortable. Because we live in a culture where we don't like being told what to do. We don't like having to follow a set list of instructions. We want it to be about me and my feelings and my truth, whatever that means. We we seem to love that phrase. 
And the result of that, if the Bible says something that maybe we're not super comfortable with, what we do is we try and explain it away or we create excuses. And that can be really dangerous. Um, Tom, do you want to come and join me? Is that all right? Um, These are some very precious football trainers. Um, I want you to imagine, like many kids do when they're younger, um, that your goal in life is to be a Premier League footballer. Now I'm going to give you the trainers of CCM football's greatest football player, Tom. Um, That is a factually accurate statement um, that I will not be challenged on. Um, Those are the trainers of CCM's greatest football player. Treat them carefully. They were, I think, £17. Um, Let's say, like Tom... You want to hold them up, Tom, for everyone to see. Um, let's say, like Tom, you want to be a Premier League footballer. That is your goal. You want the life of scoring goals in front of thousands at either um, Trafford or the Etihad, depending on which way um, you swing. You want the wages. You want the Adidas sponsorship. You want that life. Everybody knows you're not going to have that life if you don't train. If you don't try and stay fit, doing your long runs, doing your short runs, whatever it might be, if you don't try and eat well, if you're not prepared to give up some of your weekends to go to the away games and the Champions League that's over the other side of Europe, you're not going to get that unless you're prepared to put the work in. Thank you, Tom. You are wonderful. Um, If we want the life that the kingdom of God promises. So often as Christians, we say, oh yes, you know, Jesus can give us this and this and this and this, but I don't have to do anything. If we want the life of the kingdom of God, we have to adopt the lifestyle of the kingdom of God. If we want the life that Jesus promises us, a life full of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, the fruits of the spirit that we talk of, we need to adopt the lifestyle that Jesus commands. And I think that's really important that we get our heads around before we move on this morning, that for Jesus, the Bible is not a book to just be read or even to understood or even to be believed in. All those are good things. Actually, the Bible is a story to become part of. And that's not about knowing, that's about living it out. That's why you will see in our community groups, our focus in our community groups is on that application. We are here to help each other live out the teachings that Jesus gives us. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time together this morning is I want to look at an example. And we're going to look at six of these in the coming weeks. I've kind of laid the foundations of why. Um, And Jesus gives us six examples of how we unpack that. And I'm going to unpack the first of those this morning. Let's read on to verse number 21. You have heard it said that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, so in the context of this, a brother or sister is a fellow believer, another Christian, someone in our church, um, will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, someone else in our church, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So what is Jesus doing here? He is unpacking exactly what we've just talked about in those preceding verses. He is saying the rules are important, okay? Do not murder, I think we would all probably agree, is a fairly good rule to live by. 
But he's saying it's not all about that rule because murder actually comes from a deeper problem. It comes from anger, from bitterness, from spite, from contempt for others that I'm right, they're wrong, I'm better than them, they need to sort themselves out. Jesus is saying it's not just about that rule of murder, it's about what's going on in your heart. And to sort that out, you need to deal with anger and also the way you see others. So if you look at that word raka, I imagine many of us don't use that word in our everyday kind of language, but it can be translated as someone who is foolish, someone who's empty-headed, probably best as someone who's worthless. It's not just about what we do, the do not murder, it's not just about what we say, But it's about that perspective we've got on someone else, that they are worth less than I am. My opinion is more important. My feelings are more important. So how do we deal with anger? Now, in Greek, there are two words for anger um, that are going to appear behind me. There's thumos. So thumos is a quick, a flare-up anger. That's when you're um, driving in your car and someone cuts you up and all of a sudden you're fuming in that moment. They've just cut me off, and then a couple of seconds later, that anger is gone. That's that initial feeling of anger. That's not the word that Jesus uses here. Okay, there is a second word that for the life of me, I'm not going to try and pronounce, but it's on the screen behind me, and that's a deeper anger. Okay, that's when you brood over it a little bit in your mind. Maybe you ruminate on it. Maybe you replay what that person did to wrong you in your head you carry a bit of a grudge. That word means to go on being angry. And that is the word that Jesus uses here. If we square it up with what we see elsewhere in the Bible, if you carry on, Sue, in Ephesians chapter 4, we see this. In your anger, thumos, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down whilst you are angry. So when we put those together, we see what Jesus is teaching is, is not, you're never allowed to feel angry in that moment. Because in the moment, you can't really stop that. That first few seconds of flare up and, ugh. Jesus' command is, do not go on being angry. Um, as Martin Luther King famously said, you cannot stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop the bird making a nest in your hair. In other words, you can't stop necessarily that initial few seconds of angry feeling or few minutes or whatever, but you absolutely 100% can control what you do with it. So how do we deal with it when another Christian, someone else in CCM Reddish, makes us angry? How do we do when we are mad? Um, In a previous church, not this one, I will clarify, um, I had a moment where I found out someone had been saying some really quite hurtful things about me. Um, They'd shared it with quite a few other people, and I heard about it from one of these other people. Um, And when I did, I I was definitely hurt and upset, but I was also fuming. How could they say that about me when it is completely untrue? How could they, another Christian, say that? about me that's wrong that's not right it's it's not okay I was angry and for a few days I let it fester okay I wonder if you've ever done that have you ever let it just play around in your mind over and over again you replay what that person did to you maybe you fantasize about giving them a talking to and telling them why they're wrong and you're right 
And you let it play around in your mind. And I think the best case scenario there, the best case scenario is that that bitterness and that frustration, it ruins your day or it ruins your week or however long. That is the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is it starts to eat you apart. It starts to change the way you think. It changes the way you approach that relationship and other relationships. Maybe you start spreading it to other people. Maybe you then start to have a fight with that person and you fall out. Either way, there is no way that holding on to anger ever works out well. It always gets messy. Whether that's just for ourselves or bringing other people in, is there a better way to deal with that? Let's keep reading. Verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister, someone else in the church, has got something against you, so not that you've got a problem, that they've got a problem, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, who has read those verses before? Just be honest. Who has seen those verses before? I always kind of largely skipped over this because I was like, yeah, fair enough. Maybe it's about when we take communion. Maybe it's etc., etc., etc. What I didn't realise was Jesus is preaching this sermon in Galilee. Okay, and behind me, I did some Google Maps yesterday. Um, Jesus is preaching this sermon in Galilee, up at the top where you can see Tiberius. The only altar at the time was in Jerusalem. Okay, that is a one hundred mile ish walk. That is days and days. So Jesus says, when you make your annual pilgrimage, because normally the good Jews, they would go once a year to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifice on the altar. When you make that pilgrimage, you've walked 100 miles for days and days and days, and you get there, and you've got, I don't know, you'll go to your pigeon or whatever it is that you've got, and you realise, oh, Luke's annoyed at me. I completely forgot. Luke's really wound up about this thing I did, and we haven't really talked about it. We haven't put it to bed. Jesus is saying, stop turn around, walk another hundred miles, go and make stuff right with Luke, and then walk another hundred miles back to the altar. That's a 200 miles, surely at least a week with them being able to find Luke and have the chat going out of your way. Essentially, what Jesus is saying, do not wait and no matter what it takes. This isn't a small thing. This is a massive deal. Just because Luke is a bit annoyed at me, I'm going to make a 200-mile round trip to go and make that right. Don't let it fester. When you know there is some anger or frustration or annoyance or relational conflict, do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to build some bridges. Go straight out of your way, 100 miles out of your way if you have to. And what do you do? Well, Matthew 18... um, We're going to get there in a few months' time. It's a slightly different context because it's talking about when we deal with sin. But the principle is exactly the same. How do we tackle it when we have that relational conflict? The Bible gives us a three-step process. The first thing we do is we go and talk to the person. Okay. Now, there may be times when it's probably wise to go and get a Christian who you trust that you might want to talk that through before. And he's going to say, actually, I know I need to talk to Luke about this problem, but I'm not quite sure what to say. You know, Sam, can you just help me process through this conversation first? That may be appropriate, but absolutely it is not appropriate to go and talk to lots of other people and not go and talk to Luke. The Bible is really clear. We go to the person and we try and make it right. 
We try and reconcile. Secondly, if that doesn't work, let's say that is an absolute disaster, take someone trusted with you. Take someone who is a mature believer, not just a friend who will have your back, but maybe someone who will call you out if you're wrong. Take someone with you, and if that doesn't work, you take it to the church. And I have had to do that as a church leader a few times in this church. And that is good because we believe in that process of reconciliation, and it is important. Um, I spent the first few days after that phone call I told you about where I found out what somebody had been saying about me, um, ruminating and fuming. I was playing it round in my mind. I was fantasising about what I'd say to them if I got in a room, telling them about how wrong they are and how right I am. Um, I let it eat away at me. Um, but eventually, after a few days, I talked it through with my mentor, um, who is much wiser than me, um, And he helped me realise, actually, it did not matter who is right. The Bible does not talk about sorting out who is right and who is wrong. It talks an awful lot about submitting to each other. And so I gritted my teeth and I asked to meet up with that person. I'd written out for myself some um, Bible verses beforehand about being gracious, um, about bearing with one another, about forgiving. Um, And I tried really hard to do that. I tried to listen um, and ask questions to understand their perspective Um, I didn't think I'd done anything wrong and I said that, I said this is my perspective but I am really sorry and I apologise for any hurt that I'd caused Um, and if I'm honest it wasn't a nice conversation Um, I would love to stand up here and say it was all sparkles and rainbows and love Um, but if I'm honest I think these are some of the hardest conversations we have as Christians it was not an easy conversation I was so anxious beforehand because I hate conflict, I hate coming up against people. Um, And afterwards, actually, I was just a bit upset, because I felt like I'd tried really hard and I'd apologised, and that person never once apologised to me. And they didn't accept that, to my perspective, they'd done something wrong. I'm not going to pretend that it's easy and it always ends up in beautiful rainbow in the sky and everyone giving each other a hug. But over the next few days, I found a lightness. I found that stuff that was eating away inside of me started to get a little bit lighter. And over time, we have rebuilt some of that relationship. I am now so glad I went through that difficult conversation because I think that is, Jesus gives it as a guide because it is the best way to live. Now, a lot of us expect that in church we are never going to argue. Just look around the room for a moment. I'll challenge you, look around the room. These are your brothers and sisters. And we think, oh, it's going to be perfect because we're all Christians and we're all in church together. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus never makes that assumption. Jesus' words are actually when you fall out with each other. He assumes that's going to happen. And there are going to be times, I promise you, if you stay around in this church long enough, probably with me most of the time, but that's okay, where you are going to be annoyed at someone. Um, And sometimes... They will be at fault. Sometimes Luke will have done something wrong. Other times, actually, you will be at fault. Um, I think my experience of leading a church is probably 90% of the time it's a bit of both. It is very rarely 100% one-sided. But to be honest, and this is the bit I think a lot of us need to hear, that doesn't really matter. It does not matter who is in the right, inverted commas, and who is in the wrong. Because Jesus gives us a warning. 
we can dismiss Jesus' teachings in his words, the smallest letter, something we can ignore, and we can just create excuses to go with our feelings. I wonder how many times have you heard, well, I'm not going to go and try and make things right because he hasn't realised he's wrong yet. I'm not going to put the effort in with Luke because he hasn't realised he's the problem. Actually, I'm just not ready to make things right with Luke yet. There's a lot of reasons we could give to not do this. And I want to say clearly before I say the next bit, I know there are people in this room who are wrestling with faith, who are wrestling with what you believe about the Bible, what you believe about Jesus, and um, you are not in a place where you're thinking about this. And I just want to say, if that is you, this church is a safe place to explore those questions. Okay, to have those conversations, we are just buzzed that you are here. We really are. There is no pressure. You are welcome. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, we believe the Bible teaches us this because it is the best and the right way to live. And so when we see commands like this about anger in Matthew 5, without any caveats, not saying, oh, do it when you feel like it, saying go 200 miles out of your way to do it as soon as you can, going to the extreme. We believe Jesus tells us to do that because it is the best way to live. And notice what is at stake. If we can bring the verses back up, please, Sue. Notice what is at stake. If we take Jesus' teachings and we ignore them, if we construct our own version that maybe lines up with our feelings or opinions, if we sideline God's teaching, either because we don't like it or because we're too busy or whatever the reason it is, we are not going to see the blessing that comes from following Jesus. We will be least in the kingdom of God. We might not like it, but it is true. Whether or not we like it, our relationship with God is tied up to our relationship with the commands of the Bible. Okay, why? Because the Bible is on map to Jesus. It's on map to Jesus. It's how we follow him and it's how we come to know God and his plan for us. And so the invitation is there. If we take the Bible seriously, if we live it out, if we live out commands like it says here in Matthew 5, to go to ridiculous lengths to make sure we make it right with each other where there is conflict, we will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? We could spend hours unpacking this, absolutely hours. But in summary, if we take teachings like this, and most importantly, Jesus' commands in and of the Bible, if we take that as our map to life and we follow it one day at a time, over the course of your life, you will grow and you will mature into someone who is at a heart and soul level just filled with the Spirit. What does the Bible say being filled with the Spirit looks like? That you just you wake up in the morning with that undercurrent of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. When we're talking about this blessing, it's not that we'll get fancy cars or fancy houses or lots of money. It's that we'll be able to walk, no, any circumstance in this life with that undercurrent of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. That is what is on offer as we let ourselves be filled by the Spirit. That is on offer as we follow Jesus. Um, and so I'm going to ask the band to return. I don't know where they've gone. Oh, they're there. Um, there is a really clear warning in these verses, but there is also an invitation. And it is 100% up to us to decide what we do with that.
But this probably isn't one of those sermons where we just sit and reflect and we don't do anything about it. I just want you to call to mind if there is any relationships in your life where there is some conflict right now. Maybe you've got something against someone, you're annoyed, you're angry. Maybe someone's got something against you and you know about it, but you've not done anything about it. Maybe there is some forgiveness that needs to happen. I actually think this is probably one of the hardest things we do in our Christian walk, is trying to repair some of these relationships. And the outcome of whether we manage to repair them or not isn't really down to us. But Jesus tells us to go a hundred miles out of our way to make sure we try. And as you bring that relationship to mind, um, I'm going to encourage you to do something. Um, Those of you who've got a phone with you, um, you can be as brave or as not brave as you want to here. No one's forcing you, no one's going to watch, no one's going to see. But I'm going to encourage you either to text that person and arrange chance to meet up with them. I'm going to encourage you to put something in your calendar to prompt you to make you to do that. Something in your notes to prompt you to make you do that. Because Jesus' instructions here aren't to think about it and think good thoughts their way and pray a nice prayer for them. Jesus' instructions are to go 200 miles out of our way to make it right. I'm going to encourage you to do that, to reflect, but not to stop at reflecting. Get your phone out and do something that will help you start to build that bridge. Do something that will take you 200 miles out of your way to make it right. Thanks for listening. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media and you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.